Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes podcast. This is a three-part interview series featuring the prolific artist Kathy Elkwoman Whitman. Elkwoman happens to be my mother-in-law and I have had the privilege to be in her life for over 14 years. I am proud to be her daughter-in-law and also so humbled to share her story on Broken Boxes finally. <laughs> This interview mini-series is hosted by my partner in life and art, Chinupa Hanska Luger, who is Elk Woman's son. We recorded these sessions on Christmas Day of 2021 at her oldest daughter Shannon's house in Denver, Colorado. There is something so special about witnessing this type of sharing intergenerationally around art, and I hope you enjoy listening to this series as much as I enjoyed producing it for my family. May Elk Woman's story and her conversation with her son bring deeper understanding to the joy, pain, resilience, ancestral wisdom, and stubborn fight that weaves through all the generations of these badass Indigenous artists. I'll read a brief bio for Elk Woman and for Chinupa to set the stage. Kathy Elk Woman Whitman is a fearless artist who over the course of her life has continually taken creative risks and pushed conceptual boundaries in the native art world. A true multidisciplinary artist and an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold, Elk Woman is a master stone and metal sculptor, a painter, a jeweler, and a fashion designer. Over the course of her career, Elk Woman has been honored with many prestigious awards and participated in numerous exhibitions around the world. She is a member of the Indigenous Sculptor Society and continues to lead art workshops and participate in artist residencies throughout the United States. Her artwork is in many public collections and she continues to be acknowledged in the Indigenous art world as a groundbreaking artist of her generation. When asked about her life as an artist, Elk Woman reflects that what she truly loves and appreciates about her life is the ability to continue to create and impact the world with her artwork. Chinupa Hanska Luger is a multidisciplinary artist and an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold and of Mandan, Hidatsa, Rikara, and Lakota descent. Through monumental installations, performance, and social collaboration, Luger activates speculative fiction and communicates stories about 21st century indigeneity. Now, this is a three-part chronological broadcast series, so I recommend listening to it in order. Thank you for tuning into Broken Boxes podcast, and we really appreciate you. Well, mother. <laughs> Son. Um, where we left off, you had mentioned that, um, you started doing this artwork. You understood that art existed outside of us, existed in this, in this other place and that it was looking out for you. Mm -hmm. And in that effort, it also gave you an introduction to, um, our spiritual paths, mm -hmm. something that you were longing for, mm -hmm. but didn't have access to. Mm -hmm. It's the late seventies. There yeah. has been, you know incredible strides within indigenous communities as um as our spiritual practice our ceremonial yeah. existence 
was no longer illegal mm -hmm. in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. um, there was a civil rights movement happening across America, mm -hmm. and people were um, finding a sense of pride and value and worth in their culture. And you got access to this through art. Mm -hmm. Art gave you a, an entryway into this spiritual way. And we don't have a separation between art and spirituality and life. This is one continuous thing. And so by touching one, it introduced you to a wholeness. Mm -hmm. A wholeness that perhaps you were longing for. A wholeness that provided answers to who are you as you were constantly throughout your mm -hmm. younger life trying to live up to the expectations of your older siblings yeah. your parents the societies that are around us mm -hmm. for a for a moment this culmination of events that took however long but yeah. it gave you access to not the expectation of who you are but finding out who you are in wholeness. Yeah. And you had mentioned right before we left that, um, I know you took kind of a leap and mm -hmm. that this art, you know, uh, you, you no longer wanted to represent the hardship and the sorrow mm -hmm. and, the, and the loss mm -hmm. that Native people experience, yeah. but rather generate the joy mm -hmm. of what we can be. Yeah. Not of who we were and what had happened to us, but what mm -hmm. we can do mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. moving forward. I just wanted to kind of put all of that out there yeah. because I think that there is a, I think this starts to put in motion the transition for you, this transformative mm -hmm. experience, you know? Yeah. And um, I wanted you to just kind of describe, we can take it back and we'll talk about it and in that Indian way, <laughs> not keep it linear, <laughs> have it spiral in on itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, after, before, I mean, when my, when, after the ceremony, then my work changed, I changed and, um, it was, I quit drinking, you know, I gave all that up. It was just, it was abrupt. I mean, I mean, it would, had worked those four days and it had worked prior to that, you know, but, but to me, it was almost just abrupt, just like that. I was done, just done. And I remember throwing like part of a six pack of beer into the trash can when I left there that oh, I had in my car. Yeah. <laughs> it, that was huge. I mean, it sticks in my head because it was such a turning point to me. It was just like committed, you know, and I knew it through my whole body and being that I was not ever gonna go that road, that path again, you know? It was huge, it was just huge. There was no question. I didn't even think about what am I gonna do? You know, who are my friends gonna be? What am I gonna do? I didn't think about any of that. It was just done and so then your dad and I went back I went back to him and um you know then we had you <laughs> I got pregnant with you blessing total blessing <laughs> exactly exactly I mean you know try I figured if I was straight you know that not drinking and all that my my perspective changed all of that this is gonna work it won't you know felt like I wouldn't I would be more I don't know cooperative <laughs> I don't know what the word would be you know I would be more being able to go along with the way things were and be okay with it and and the first year I went back it was it was like the perfect relationship 
that I I figured could happen. I mean, this is was like this is what I knew it could be or what I thought it could be, um, because I came back that way, and then he thought he should quit drinking, and I said, "Don't do it unless you do it for yourself. Don't do it because of me." I mean, then I was truly content with that because I felt hundred percent like nothing could touch me, nothing could hurt me, nothing could you know be negative to me at that point. And, um, but then he quit. He said, you know, he wanted to. So he quit. And that made a big difference that year. I mean, we did things together more. It wasn't just about being in his world. I mean, he even went to, he even, um, you know, went to a Sunday. He even came to the, um, went to the Sundance. And I had you and Polani named at the Sundance. I mean, of course, you don't remember that. But, you know, your names, we had already given your names to you. But when we went to the Sundance, we had it ble- your name's blessed, you know, you and Polani. But he was there, briefly, you know. Yeah. And Shannon and Cody? Shannon and Cody, well, Shannon, I always liked that name, so I have, you know, gave her that name. Yeah. And um, and Cody, I, your dad wanted to name her Cody Bill. <laughs> so I wanted to name her Lakota. Bell. <laughs> it was the closest I would come to Bill. There was absolutely, I was not going to name her Bill. <laughs> But even in those days, I mean, that was before even all that. You know, when she was born in 73. Well, I guess it was kind of... Right on the edge there. Yeah. I, even though I hadn't known about all this, I mean, I was, the ceremonies and so on. I really longed for that, the culture and the connection, feeling that it's real. You know, these spirits and and the stories, all of that. And so I wanted her to have... Indian name or have be addressed that way and then of course it became even more so with the rest of you you know I um and your dad went along with it I mean again it was a good it was a good time during that time you yeah know? and um and I wanted to name you give you have your name your your whatever what do you call that your surname or whatever what do they call that when it's your regular name anyway I wanted it to My, be a government name <laughs> I wanted it to be Indian, you know, I wanted it to, and because we lived at Standing Rock and I thought it was going to be there forever, we named you, gave you a Lakota name, you know, and a powerful name. I mean, geez. Powerful. They say, I mean, what I heard after, of course, you already named everything. It's too late. Yeah, it's hard. It makes your life harder when you have that kind of a name, is what I was told, but too late. I don't know what, I don't know what easy life is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so... Um, but anyway, that was my whole purpose is that when I did name you guys, I, and I did have flack for it. People weren't naming their kids Indian names. They weren't. I mean, even though AIM, that was happening, it was not a common thing. They might do it on the side. I mean, they might have you, give you an English name and then an Indian name. But, um, my feeling was, I want you to always know where you come from, who you are. And I want people to know that too. That we still exist and to acknowledge that they had to yeah. that's your name you yeah. know i i always tell people that you name me that so that they would choke on saying my <laughs> saying my name this is difficult it's difficult for them it's spelt in a in a way that is so unfamiliar and mm-hmm. every introduction i have there is a moment of struggle of like yeah i they're like i can't <laughs> i don't know how and that's that's powerful. Yeah. To every time, no matter what authority figure that I'm engaging with, mm-hmm. I automatically have a role of 
teacher. It's like, yeah. you know, I yeah. know, I know you're way up there. I know you got money. I know you got all this stuff, but uh-huh. you just don't know how to say it. <laughs> so I'm going to have to tell you, I'm going to have to teach you. I'm going to have to teach you. I'm young, you know, but that is, that's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic that I've recognized yeah. in my life yeah. you know, in yeah. general and yeah. being lighter, fairer skin right. and all of this sort of stuff. Right. I've, I've had access to some of those spaces without mm-hmm. them knowing me, mm-hmm. knowing who I am. Yeah. And the moment I'm introduced there, the way that I'm interacted with changes <laughs> because they're like, huh? Yeah. I thought you was one of us. And now I can tell you're not, you know, like once they get the name, they, uh-huh. they start looking for cheekbones and all sorts of other phenotypical things, yeah. you know, and they're like, yeah. he's kind of, he's a little bit browner than we are actually turns out. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think that that's really, that's really interesting. Um, and then, so you're in, we're back in Standing Rock, we're, mm-hmm. in, we're in North Dakota, um, uh, that imagined kind of country life, um, that longing for, mm-hmm. for a sense of, of place and belonging and mm-hmm. guidance to mm-hmm. who you are, you just got an introduction to all of this. And suddenly all of those expectations that you had been living up to are now in your hands. Yeah. And in that, it's looking good. Yeah. You know? like yeah. It, it seems to be, it seems to be going well. Um, I have one question about just prior to that with um, Shannon and Cody, when you were back and forth, were they with you? Were mm-hmm. they with my dad? They were always with you. And so they had that kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cody, I mean, Shannon was in Head Start and Cody, you know, wasn't even in school yet. She'd go to the babysitter when I go to work. Yeah. And it's when you're that Native. young. Native <laughs> you know, babysitter. Yeah. And when you're that young, you don't know other Right. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. this is what life's like, you know, so yeah. it's not, it's not a traumatizing experience, you know, maybe you think about it later in relationship to everything else. But at the time, I mean, there's so much of the things that we've experienced that we acknowledge as, you know, trauma or something like that with hindsight. Yeah. But in the moment, it's like, oh no, this is the, this is the whole world. Yeah. This is what the world's like. Yeah. I don't have a point of reference. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but so times are good. Yeah, and for about a year, <laughs> maybe a year and a half. Because yeah. actually, you know, because then I then I got pregnant with Plani. Yeah, and we built a house. You know, a year and a half younger than me. Yeah, and you know, we built that subterranean house, which your dad went along with. I mean, it was like this was highly unusual, not like in the past years, you know. And it was really great. And then a one eighty happened again. He didn't start drinking, but it was like. Um, I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't know what, what happened to him. I'll interview him later. <laughs> but I'm just saying it switched back to, you know, how it was in the um, the perspective of, you know, my my way of life, my upbringing compared to his upbringing. It's came to a clash again. Well, there's a lot of patriarchy <laughs> embedded in that cowboy life. Mm-hmm. And then that cowboy life. Uh, and just like the American model of life, there's so much patriarchy that's mm-hmm. embedded in that. It is a well-worn slipper, you know? So even if you make movements yeah. and steps, even if it's better, yeah, it's so easy to like just put on that old slipper again, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's so, 
because everything else reinforces it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that's got to be hard. So I guess, I mean, I, you know, just by teaching and then taking some classes at the college, you know, so I've been painting and I've been drawing for, you know, those few years. I mean, doing it a lot more that um, and then getting my own. It was even I mean, even though I was partying or whatever when I was down in Rose, but I was Kathy Whitman yeah. or, or Kathy Luger. I was not Bruz's wife. You know, I was I was me like valued for what I did. And it was me, you know, or, or or I was a friend because of me. They didn't even know him. You know what I mean? There was no other but me. And that was empowering for me, you know, and 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 also building my skills as a artist, as a painter. I mean, you know that that people really liked it, even in a whole nother place, you know, that didn't know me, not just that standing rock, you know, yeah, people that I knew were family, you know what I mean? So that really gave me some confidence and um so i continued that you know after i went back i mean i did i, I still did a lot of you know i helped i did stuff in that house you know i built kind of became a carpenter too <laughs> you know <laughs> just just doing stuff you know i always just always like to i guess because you have to out of necessity i mean grandpa used to say you're, you're really good at being poor because <laughs> <laughs> i could build stuff <laughs> that i didn't have you know yeah um but i love that too. I, I um, pride myself in that. I love that I have that in me, you know, to um, if you don't have it or if you want to, you know, you figure a way out to, to, to make it happen or fix or whatever. But anyway, I got to that point and I I, um, I was just done. Uh, you know, couldn't, I wasn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And, and in a clearer head, you know, not having any chemicals and um, and practicing my spirituality more, you know, and uh, I just had a clear head, and I just thought I don't want to raise my children up in it was it was hard for my kids um, for me to take my kids away, but I didn't want to raise them up in that environment. I I remember feeling that there's got to be more happy times than this, and I don't want my kids to feel like this is what it is, you know, um, and that you have to. Um, do it be you have to accept it and you can't strive for more you know I didn't know what happiness was but I just knew that wasn't my happiness you know it, I was frustrated a lot and um, so when I left I just left for a break I thought but I, I was it was it was timing you know that that I was ready and just didn't I felt good so where'd and, you go I went back home to because Grandma and Grandpa had moved back to Fort Berthel, back to the home place, and um, and Grandpa was taking care of the motor lodge at the time, the Four Bears Motor Lodge. They had him run it because it was so much in the red, and he pulled it out of it. But he was needing employees a lot, so then I started working there as a bartender for one, which was ironic because <laughs> I wasn't drinking. You know, I didn't drink, but I they needed somebody to be there. And then eventually help manage in management, but I really didn't like the politics of it and all that. Anyway, in the meantime, I was still doing art and, um, I don't know, you know, had a, had a little, uh, arts and crafts store there and even had a little food store there. You know, after I quit working there, I just wanted to work for myself and then, and, and it worked, I sure wasn't making any money, you know, and then here I got four kids at that point and, and then, um, and then Okarehe comes along, you know, I mean, I have, then I have my fifth one 
and you know had that and then I had a recreation center and it just wasn't um I didn't have the support all of that you know wanted to I really wanted the kids to have something and then had that survival camp and we we talked about that you know last night and stuff but just that one person can't do that alone and it's very hard and uh draining and no um support from the community and it wasn't like I had a grant or whatever and said I'm going to do this and open this up I just opened it up you know that was that was one of the things that I wanted people to see too is you don't need a business plan or a big uh, grant to open up a little shop, you know. It sure would help. <laughs> but I'm saying that with, that's what hinders people a lot of times. Oh, I got to get this. I can't do it because I don't have this. And that just, that has always irritated me. Let's just do it, you know. Mm-hmm. That always is my, seem like that's my motto. Let's just do it. Just do it. I, I, I always don't like excuses, you know. Nike went with that. I know them damn copiers. <laughs> <laughs> um, it didn't succeed. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it succeeded if I would have just stayed there. It, it could have kept going, but I was frustrated with that. Well, you, you know? got no business plan. You got no... <laughs> no grant. <laughs> <laughs> you could just do it, but you have to commit. And that's the that's the that's the tricky thing, especially when you're working with community, and there's no immediate return on that. You know, you're still inspired. You got your arts and crafts store. You've got the little food thing. You've created the rec center. You've also retouched with um, the place home. You mm-hmm. know, finally made it home yeah. again after yeah. so long. You're finally back home, and. Um, the lack of communal support pushes you away from that idea of home. Like you had an idea of home, but then the reality of home was something else. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Completely different than when I left from there, you know? But the other thing was too, I did get to that point of, I have five kids and I'm taking one step forward and two steps back and for what, you know? I didn't feel like I was really making a difference, even though it was good for kids to come and hang out and and they did go to that survival camp. But it was just that I couldn't do it. I mean, I was to me, I was sacrificing my kids' future to to stay, to, to continue that, you know, because I felt like that that I wasn't providing for you. We were staying with grandma and grandpa a lot. Just to provide context, we had had a conversation late into the evening last night. Yeah. And in that conversation, we brought up some of the um, some of the social kind of engineering projects that you were trying to do on the res when you came back mm-hmm. um, back home. Mm-hmm. And um, you had a you know it began with the uh, grandpa's access to the the motor lodge, mm-hmm. um, which is like a hotel. Yeah. Uh, that was. In economic decline, but with his business savvy, uh, mm-hmm. catalyst kind of generating person, pulled it up and out of out of that space. Mm-hmm. That opened up the opportunity to have kind of social and public kind of interactions, mm-hmm. uh, a reintroduction into into home mm-hmm. after being gone for so long. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you start doing other projects. You open this um, this kind of rec center in that recreation center it was really kind of designed for um something for the 
children mm -hmm. to do, the kids yeah. in, in community because there, there, there was nothing like that. You know, I recall this. I, re I remember being young and wearing parachute pants and trying to break dance, you know, um, without ever even knowing what that meant. But I was like, I got the pants. We've got cardboard. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist and jive until it's breakdancing. Um, I, remember, I remember that old building. It was in Newtown. Uh -huh. um, I remember some of the old signage from the, like, 50s. Mm -hmm. And uh, just couldn't help myself from breaking those uh, neon lights. Because the signs were off and in the back, and oh, you did that! <laughs> couldn't help myself. Um, I didn't do it alone. Every, you know, all, all of these kids who were coming down here, there was something, oh, something satiating about that, you know. Um, but Oops. having 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 access to that, you know, um, I remember that space. I remember kids coming in, and for me, everybody was older. They weren't kids. Yeah, me, well, they were know? Shannon and Cody's age, right? Or so. Totally, and so their their years. Yeah. Of me, yeah. You know? um, but I remember that I recall that space. I, I recall it from a different perspective, a yeah. smaller perspective. Yeah. I remember boxes of candy being there, <laughs> you know, and yeah, like you mentioned, like arts and crafts. Mm -hmm. There was there was access, mm -hmm. you know, to do something mm -hmm. and to like even participate in what we were beginning to understand as popular culture. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this is uh, uh, or like mid 80s early 80s mm -hmm. um and you know with the movement of the of um the kind of civil rights and getting to know our our ways and being proud of who we are mm -hmm. um another thing that you had mentioned a couple of times is the survival camp and mm -hmm. in the context of 21st century survival <laughs> camp sounds like a militia group i know i didn't um, think about that yeah yeah but that's not what this was this yeah. was a um uh, you and who else would help run that? Well, it was me and Guy, my nephew and grandma and grandpa. I mean, they weren't there all the time. They just came to help me start, like to set up. Um, we put up a teepee. Yeah. You know, we were trying to stay in the earth lodge. But then grandma and grandpa and Guy built the, the toilet. Totally, that. totally. And I, I'm, I'm just asking who was, who was a participant in that as far as the creation of it. Because what it was, was an introduction to our cultural ways. Mm-hmm through camping yeah through, through getting the kids out of the town yeah you know back onto the land mm -hmm. and when we you know if we're looking at our pride in who we are and our reference to mm -hmm. our culture and mm -hmm. context our culture and context doesn't exist in these little small white looking towns right you know yeah. your piggly wigglies mm -hmm. and your gas stations and your farmers credit unions mm -hmm. that's not our 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 way our way was older. Our way was connected to the land. Yeah. And the survival wasn't survival in the militia context, <laughs> but survival in an indigenous context that this is how we lived. Yeah. This was the way. And in this way, it's an equalizer. Mm -hmm. You're no longer poor. Mm -hmm. You're look at, look at the land around us. Mm -hmm. Look at what we have access to. If you knew how to live with it, you would never be hungry. Mm -hmm. You would never be poor. Yeah. Right. So this is the, the, point of reference to the to the yeah. survival camp. Yeah. Well, and I have to say it wasn't wasn't my idea. I mean, I didn't come up with that on my own coming from Rosebud. They were already doing that down there. You know, they they were having those kind of things. So, to me, I brought that idea up there, but it was new up there. And um and yeah, that was the whole point was to teach them how to pick, you know, look for turnips, dig turnips, 
pick June berries um, and and haul water. It was so funny because I remember <laughs> one kid was like, gee, we're just working all the time. You don't know when you're going to play. Uh, it's surviving. <laughs> be proud of that. I know, because they, you know, some they didn't want to be just working all the time. They, it was almost constant work, having to prepare for this or that or the food and um, and putting up the teepee. I mean, all these things was supposed to last a week, but I could only do it for about three days and I was done. I couldn't. Nobody was there. I mean, you know, Grandpa and Grandma left. They went to, I don't know if they went to a powwow or something. They went somewhere and Guy left too. I mean, he was, they were only there to like get the toilet set up and help me set up the teepee, you know. Those kids helped too, but you know, you need grown people to do that. So it was, um, you know, and of course no adults were interested in coming to be a super um, help supervisor, chaperone or whatever. Everybody just... Oh, good. That's great. Of thing. You're going to have the kids for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was hard. It was really hard. You know, you all were there and it was just, you were there, weren't you? Do you remember it? Or or were you, I didn't maybe you might it. have been with your dad. I don't, I can't remember I don't, for sure. Because there were so many and it was like. Well, and I'm like two, maybe three. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty young at this time. Yeah. But I, I, I just wanted to provide a little bit of some of the economic situation, the social situation of where you were at. Mm-hmm. The family was there. I, I remember living with grandpa and grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember doing things, the big garden, yeah. you know, all of this other stuff that it wasn't different or unique. You know, it was just the way it was, you know, so there was no big kind of surprise there. But the it was hard. It was hard on you. Single mother now with five kids living at your, at home with your mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. You know, what what was the big catalyst for the for the next phase in your life? Because we left the res. Yeah, there was a there was a combination of things. Um, we had moved to. I wanted to live have our own place, and we moved to a place in town. I mean, because I just did whatever I wanted to, and no matter what, how it, the situation it. was, yeah. Don't even moved, plan. Move into this house that had no running water, no no heat other than this one little heater thingy, like a oil. I don't even know what they were. Those old old time hardly could kick out heat, and it was an old house with all these rooms, no no running water, and so it had um, a nice mural eventually. <laughs> Yeah, because I painted everything. That's what people told me years later. Because I paint up the window wherever I was, my the rec center, the the arts and crafts store, painted the windows. And um, because I I lived in the southwest, and there was murals all over in Santa Fe, and you know, because I lived in Albuquerque. I mean, I was I yeah. was exposed to that, and it was awesome to be able to do that. You know, you just like it's like the norm and up north. But so of course I did it. I painted scenes on stuff on our houses i remember but, being a kid around this time and you also making a float oh yes that was such a great float but it didn't even get anything but it was it was about alcoholism and spirituality and yeah just made that out of chicken wire and stuff and it was a rainbow and in one one side the skies you know that we made a, a dummy with holding a bottle of liquor and crawling on the ground and the other side was an eagle of that where that rainbow was you know so it was kind of trying to show the, I don't even remember what I wrote on it but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's 
surprised you remembered that. Yeah. Well, and it was, I mean, for me, I'm, I was small. It was enormous. Yeah. And it wasn't paint. It was a physical thing. Yeah. And it was a part of this parade. And I, yeah. you know, any, any of our listeners who are a part of um, kind of small town yeah. America. Yeah. Like a parade was substantial. Yeah. You know, it was the internet of the time. Right. Like it was where all, you know, everybody came together uh-huh. and you could say a lot with a float. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I didn't remember what the float was about. I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, it was about alcoholism and returning to spirituality. Yeah. I was like, no, it was a big chicken wire <laughs> on a flatbed trailer, you know, that was built up or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, was we, it on, or was it on a car? It I seemed think, like it was on a car. Yeah, it was built over a car, right? Yeah, it seems like it was. I can't even remember exactly, but I know that we, you know that chicken wire we stuffed with like um, tissue paper, tissue paper, and then and sprayed. It. I spray painted it, you know, to <laughs> like the rainbow and then the eagle. You know, I mean, all those things. Yeah, so we were doing sculpture stuff yeah. too. <laughs> it was cooler in my mind that I think than it probably was. In it was life. really cool. Oh, I bet it was. Seemed like it. Yeah, but what I was going to say was we lived kind of really in poverty, you know. I mean, we didn't have, it was in town, this house. But, you know, I had a toilet, about a toilet. Those. Dis- I remember that. Yeah, and I It emptied- was a toilet that you had to empty all the waste out of. It wasn't connected to any sort of plumbing. Yeah. It was like a motorhome. It was an eco-toilet. It was an eco-toilet. <laughs> Today, it's known as an eco-toilet. Back then, it was known as some poor people's toilet. <laughs> Glamping in a house. Yeah. We, yeah. We we lived that van life a couple of times too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. And just and, do it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think I even had that painted on my mail truck. I think I painted that on there along with my other stuff. Um and and chopping wood and building a fire, you know, and um what kind of hate and his dad and I were together, but then that ended. And again, it was that thing. I mean, my, my, I closed my, it was like everything that happened. The places that I had though, we're, were like things that made me make a different, make a change because from the Nukhbaga Lodge, my own people went and pulled out the, took the, pulled the rug out from under me by offering the, um, the land, the building owner more money for rent behind my back. But sneakily did it because they asked me what I was paying. And I knew in my head they were asking me for that reason, but I told them anyway. Anyway, long story short, they got the, he asked me if I wanted to pay that much. Shoot, I couldn't afford it. So I closed it up, you know, and let them have it. They turned it into a cigarette shop. And um, anyway, so then the next thing was that, you know, that I wanted to open up that place that had that little, I rent, I subleased that building for the rec center from, from the veterans native veterans group in Newtown and they um and I was paying my rent and then I don't know how many months later six months I don't know year I don't can't remember how long the owner comes to me and said I owe all this back rent and I was like I've been paying my rent you know and and they never paid him they just kept taking the money and not pay this guy so I either had to pay him what they owed him or not be there. So it just went vacant. So then I had to close that up, you know? And it was those kind of things that happened. That's why I that... broke those signs. <laughs> that was after. <laughs> I was at the end of it. <laughs> 
And then, I, you know, I just felt like there the only way is up kind of a thing. You know, me and Okarahe's dad split up and... And I just thought, you know, this is, we're living in squander. You know, what am I doing? And then, and, and I don't want my kids to, this is no future. You know, I, and I didn't, all I had was that mail truck that I bought for $900. That was my, our vehicle. And, um, cause well, I think, also painted. This is one of these big, like, um, looks like a bread truck or, yeah, you know. drive on the, it wasn't even as big as that, I don't, you know, but you drive on the opposite side of the road. Yeah, because you're putting mail into mailboxes <laughs> without getting out of your car. I thought it was cool. It was a good deal. And it's a van, which we could go powwow with. And there were beds built in it. <laughs> I built there the beds in there. There beds yeah. built in it. I did yeah. build those bunk beds in we there. We had adventures. I know. In that van life. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, it was cool, but the girls that were older hated it. They were so embarrassed. But we went to powwows in it, and it was a good thing. But that was all I had, and and when I came to the point of you know I have to make a living for you guys, and this is not happening here. I went and did a. In the meantime, Auntie Jackie told me about <clears throat> these other artists that about these other shows, and so we connected and went to a show in Boulder, a Native art show. You know, and at that time, Native art shows was the thing to do. Um, to make a living, at least in that way, in the Southwest and stuff. But um, so me and um, Cody and Okarahe, I think it was during, I don't remember if it was a Christmas or what, but we went because Okarahe was in a in a um, in her cradle board. She was just a baby. Yeah, just a baby. And so I had to take Cody. I wanted to take her so she could help me while I did business or whatever. So set up a booth. I'd never done a show before like that, you know. And um, when I went there. All these things that I had been selling, like raw painted rawhide earrings and paintings on hides and, you know, any little thing that I could make, cards, you know, just, I had all that kind of stuff in my store. And so I had had these things left over. So I took them there and just how easy I could sell them. But of course, they were really cheap compared to most people. But knowing that I could sell it for even more and seeing all these artists, all Native artists making a really good living just on their art and 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 people customers coming and just being so interested you know on a different level compared to North Dakota how non-indians treated us you know we were just subhuman, subhuman exactly and then going to that show and then you being revered for what you're doing you know like whoa you know you are just that kind of thing was like night and day for me yeah and I could see, and then the cars they drove, that natives drove, and their clothes that they wore. I was like, oh, "This is it! I can do this!" You know? Yeah. It was that. Gee, what economic place do you have to be in to consider being an artist? <laughs> Pretty dark, right? Yeah. Like that. I mean, I, I'm thinking about that. I'd be like, "Dang! <laughs> wow! Yeah, You've got a ca the car is on the right hand side." <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> it's true though. It's so 100%. Yeah. You know. And I think it's also interesting because, you know, as native artists, we, I mean, we say it, we say it all, you know, native artists, indigenous, all of these mm -hmm. sorts of things. Mm -hmm. We talk about ourselves under these umbrellas, you know, this like oneness. Yeah. But um, I presently live in the Southwest as well. You do as well. Mm -hmm. 
It's such a different, it's so different. Like the native people from the region are, couldn't be any more different, you know? They're, yeah. they're just as different from us as the Europeans heading west. Uh, n- nearly. Yeah. Like, phenotypes, maybe, but even that, you know? Mm-hmm. Little, we're just all different. And the effect of the state on the tribe that you're a part of and all of the economic possibilities, all of that stuff is things that we don't talk about under the umbrella, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of, and how completely the diversity of experience. You know, yeah. the complexity of experience. Yeah. So now you're here, you're in Boulder, Colorado, the edge of the plains, mm-hmm. edge yeah. of the world for us. Right. I mean, Vermilion, South Dakota <laughs> was about as, like, people knew you in Vermilion. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's that's also the other side of yeah. Lakota land. You know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, Denver's not that far away, not in the context of today, but. That was a, that's an adventure. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. And on, at the end of that adventure, you saw something. Mm, yeah. So let's talk about that. What, what then? It was, it was such a shot in the arm, so to speak, you know? And I made good money, I thought. I mean, I don't even remember how much it was, but probably wasn't much compared to the other ones. But when, compared to being home, yeah. it was huge, huge. And, and it just told me this, I can do this. And, 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 you know, the whole thing was working on me and I decided I had to go get a car. I had to buy a car, a new car, a good car. That's a reliable car. I didn't trade in my, who wants my mail truck anyway. I kept it and just went to go, wanted to go buy a car and went to the bank and they said, well, you need, can your dad co-sign for you? The bank in Newtown. So I, I, I asked, went out there and asked him, and of course, Grandpa was going to sign for me, and we, we drove back to town, and on the way back to town, we saw a bald eagle sitting on the telephone pole. It was just so relevant and such a good sign. I just knew it was going to be good, you know, so we went back to town. He signed the papers. We went to Minot and, um, to go get a car, and I, I, as one part of my down payment, I gave the guy a painting. He took one and he was, he accepted my painting. They didn't do stuff like that in those days, especially in Minot, you yeah. know, but they did it in the Southwest, but it worked and, um, got that little car, that little red car and came back and just made up my mind. I'm gonna go for it. And, um, I didn't think, didn't really know where to go. So I thought Rapid City was really the place. I mean, if I could go that far. It was going to be closer and there was a better market there. It is in the summertime better, you know, but, you know, we, we were there for six months, I think, and more um, almost a year. I can't remember even how long it was, but it was beautiful. The first place we lived, I mean, it was right in the Black Hills. Oh, it was so nice. But then they, this owner sold out, so we had to find another place. But but the, the thing was, it was not the hub I thought it was, and and I found myself driving to Santa Fe and Albuquerque to sell my work. I started doing stone and selling it um, to the stores, galleries, you know. And I thought, well, and running into storms, ugh, and, you know, driving all night to get, get down there and get back. It was always just hectic, and I thought, okay, what am I doing here? Not, not making a living here. It's not doing anything here. I'm doing all this traveling. I need to go where the source is. So that's when I decided to move to Santa Fe. <laughs> People just thought I was crazy, you know? Like, do you have a job? Do you have a house? That I remember people asking me that. 
what are you going to do? And I, in my mind, well, I'm just going to go down there and I'm going to sell my work and then I'm going to rent a house, find a house, rent a house. Yeah, and this is way and then free move down. internet. Like, I know. Like you, Where you had to go to the pay phone and, and have a newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> look up stuff. Thrifty nickel. Yeah, right. That was Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. That was the paper version of yeah. Craigslist. But it all worked. That was the thing. It, exactly how I had it in my mind, it worked. You know, went down there, sold my sculptures at the, um, what is it, the Indian Pueblo Culture Center in Albuquerque. They were only paying a third of the retail price. Well, I was happy to get that. was a lot of money to me. I mean, I was happy mm -hmm. to get that. Somebody's wanting to buy my work for that. Even, you know, it was a lot to me. So I was happy that that they valued it and went and sold them. They got about five pieces or whatever, something like that. And got that place those people were still living in there they moved out i said i need it in a week went back and got my um at that time i think it was just shannon and cody and okadahe and you guys were with your dad while we went down there to scout it out and do all that and then we went back and and loaded up the mail truck shannon was 13 she drove my little red renault and i drove the mail truck it's <laughs> <laughs> a different time <laughs> no. loaded up the mail truck with most of our stuff, you know. She was the tallest person in our family. <laughs> at that time. At that time, when she was 13. <laughs> oh, that was so crazy. Yeah, we drove down there like that with the mail truck and that. I mean, people, I was a friend of mine that always remind, reminds me about that and just always thinks it's too much that we did that. But in my mind, you just do it, you know. It's just like. What them. was the alternative? Right. There wasn't. There wasn't any. That's exactly. You tried everything. Yeah. That's what I felt like. Yeah. Yep. And then we st stayed there two years, which was good. I mean, I did sell here and there, but again, I found myself going to uh, Phoenix because like the year, this buying time season is longer in Phoenix at the time for stores and, and museums. I used to sell to the herd a lot and other little stores like Sedona too, or galleries and you know, just kind of develop that and networking with other artists. And the thing during those times was doing Indian art shows, getting collectors, uh, being in competitions, which I hate now. Don't you know the? There, that was the thing that you did. I didn't know I'm green coming from the res up north, and that's other artists. They're telling you this and that, and, that, and that's what I saw. That's how it was. You get in competitions if you get some recognition, if you win a ribbon or whatever. Then all of a sudden you have some credibility. You know, all of a sudden you you, you must be good. Even to buyers, you know, not just gallery owners or whatever. And then it just goes on and on like that. And and the thing was to have do as many shows, get as many ribbons, be in as many galleries. You know, there was all that. That was the thing. So you were dependent on wholesaling and doing retail shows and a lot of traveling. You know, we did a lot of traveling, selling trips so many times, you know, to California and Oh, yeah. And all of those booths, all of those art fairs, open air art fair markets and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, some of my peers, we call ourselves booth babies because <laughs> we just grew up underneath these little rubber made fold out tables. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Listening to these Link, Sneaking a bed on a blanket. Yeah, under right, the table. right at your feet, you know. And like, it's funny because we come from all these different tribes from all over the place. And our cultural experience is under the table of an, of, a, of an art native art show and like hearing the same question oh my god over and over <laughs> and over you know hearing your parents like pander 
pander yeah, yeah. to make that sale oh, to feed us just yeah you know what i'm saying like it's a um that definitely affected me as an artist watching you and all my people have to fucking do that i know you know i know where i was just like well, i don't want to play this game god i know i know yeah it's interesting though because it is once again survival yep you know yeah when you're reduced to a single word you'll do what it takes mm-hmm. you know and in that that provides and generates a grit that i think privilege doesn't mm-hmm. well we'll never understand right true true you know yeah yeah so now you're in the southwest you we you move to Santa Fe. Santa Fe has its Indian art market. I think it's important also to reference like why the Southwest, and just give a little bit more context of, just to get provide a little bit more context of where this native art industry came from. The first Indian art market was white people mm-hmm. with a bunch of Indian fare, you mm-hmm. know, um, selling that to other white people. Yeah. You know, that's the first, that's the first Indian, that's the first Santa Fe Indian art market, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the region is because of transportation, trains first, and then second highways and the intrepid, romantic post Hollywood Western narratives of going through the wild West. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Route 66. Route 66. <laughs> and just selling this like narrative to mm-hmm. to the European American population, you know, mm-hmm. that are, you know, presently living in, this is after World War II, after Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, I mean, really before Vietnam, but World War after World War II, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of people come back, greatest generation, mm-hmm. wanting to build, you know, families mm-hmm. and explore the rest of the country and feel like they're home mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. after all of this hardship. And they experienced the the land of their forefathers in turmoil, mm. in ruin. Yeah. People with last names like Werner, last names like French names, Spanish names, but seeing seeing a land at war with mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. And then they return heroes to the United States. This experiment, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that they had to sever this relationship to place in order to become white in America mm-hmm. and that whole story. This is the market that is driving the Southwest. Mm-hmm. It's it's people wanting to belong and have a deep time relationship to the land mm. without having the time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the history, um, the stories. Yeah. In it. So they rename every mountain, rename every river. And to provide them um, a better sense of belonging to place, mm-hmm. they purchase native imagery, identity, and culture. Yeah. And reduce its size, reduce its function, romanticize it, and turn it into an anecdote for mm-hmm. their small circles. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I was seeing, you know, in that. But simultaneously, so that's, that's, that's the buyer end. Mm-hmm. But the seller end was able to take all of that cultural history and carve it in stone, fire it on clay, mm-hmm. weave it into rugs, mm-hmm. uh, weave it into baskets, 
tell our story, even if our audience is somebody else, those gathering places, those big open air mm -hmm. markets and mm -hmm. stuff like that, they're like powwows. They're yeah. like celebrations, yeah. you know, in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways. And it gives you exposure to the complexity of Native America. Yeah. Like, I didn't know I was an Indian <laughs> until I wasn't on the res anymore. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I remember realizing being an Indian once we left the res. I remember once we got to Arizona. At that point, I was like, oh, yeah, you're other. <laughs> yeah you're not uh, one of us you're uh -huh. something else yeah you know yeah as they called us yeah right a couple years ago yeah but i think i think it's important to kind of give a little bit of context to um what's happening in these two in these two spaces for mm -hmm. indigenous people it was an opportunity to sustain our visual language mm -hmm. the shapes and the forms of our mm -hmm. of our culture it was commodified and turned into art, you mm -hmm. know, and there's an Indian art market. Yeah. But it's something else. It's something stronger than that. And it is a, you need some sort of economy to sustain the production of these customary mm -hmm. forms. And just like we hid our war dances in powwows, mm -hmm. we hid our spirituality in art. Yeah in the art fairs. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of just provide a little bit more context in relationship to that. Yeah. Um, because that's what brought you out. There's no market like that in North Dakota. Yeah. You know, your audience, yeah. you, the people who are buying your work are primarily native people. Right. You know? Now, but I mean, at that time they were collectors, like non, when collectors were collectors, you know? Yeah. I want to do say though, as much as I'm not happy about those shows now, there, there is that networking with artists and that you, like you said, like that powwow, that's exactly like when we used to go to powwows, there's always, you know, you get there and you see your friends from other reservations and you're all happy to see each other and you want to continue that, you know, so you want to go to the next powwow the next weekend so you can see them. It was kind of like that in those shows, you know, because then you get to see your friends that you didn't see for a whole year or whatever, you know, yeah. you visit, go to, you know, all these different artists. It's that same thing from all these different tribes and all different types of art. You know, unlike your own, but but just having that uh, kind of creating that little family thing, yeah. you know. Yeah, community. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's 1987. This native art market that I'm talking about is also there is a um, there is a I don't know uh, an association that's embedded in it uh, of Southwest Indigenous Artists Association. Yeah. yeah. You know, or some acronym along along those lines, but it was very Southwest centric. And yes. here you are, sculptor, painter. Mm -hmm. um, sculptor is what I remember, like working in stone. Yeah. Um, female. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from Northern Plains, with pale eyes. <laughs> yeah. Coming into Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. What was the what was the reception before before you became friends and this was your community? What was the reception of, oh. of uh, coming into that space? I mean, like you mentioned before, we had to find a home. We had to do right. all of that other stuff. You yeah. could scout a little bit, and you yeah. had some work selling out of out of uh, uh, retail stores. Uh -huh. But what was it like doing those those first? Because I know it can be as much as there is community in any community. There's clicks. Oh yeah. How many other? Female sculptors were there. Oh. How many other Northern Plains people were I mean, there in yeah. 1987? Right, right. Well, 
Well, just go to the Indian market, to Santa Fe Indian market, when you applied for it, they only gave, I mean, this is just the one part I'm going to mention, they only gave 10% of all of those booths, what, a thousand booths maybe at the time or something, a little over, I don't remember how many, only 10% of those booths could go to tribes outside of New Mexico, Arizona, and southern um, Colorado and... Um, Utah. Yeah. You know, the Diné tribe and, and I think maybe the Ute. I'm not sure if they were included in it, but it seems like that. So all the rest of the United States, we were only given... We had to compete for 10% of those booths. So, yeah, it was huge to be able to get into it <laughs> if you got accepted you know but I remember I did apply in 86 which I don't always mention and I got in and the ceremony was going on that very same weekend and it was really a hard decision for me to make but I just my just given my my beliefs and my feelings I knew that I had to make the right choice in the long run mm. that that was more powerful more meaningful to my life so i didn't i didn't take my booth i i had to you know Gee, i said what would our lives be like if you would have gone in 86 oh god yeah Gee, <laughs> who knows a path's divided split but you know it yeah. was it was a hard decision to make but it was my beliefs too what do you stand for who are you you know what do you really believe in and that was more important than to be an Indian market. And then I applied again the next year. And I did write I did write that in my thing, you know, saying that I didn't I got accepted, but I didn't I because I wanted them to know why I didn't take it, that I chose that the ceremony was going on at the same date and that was my preference, you know. But this the ceremony, the dates were different this time. So I applied again. And then I got in, but I got on the waiting list. So I didn't get my own booth. So I had to find somebody to uh, share with me. And that was, um, uh, I think it's Anita Fields' mom. I can't remember her name now. Gee, I don't think she's even there alive anymore. But she was an older woman at the time. And she let me, she was a potter, and she let me put my um, sculptures in the back. But they still sold. I didn't sell a whole bunch, but I remember uh, I so got a gallery in Taos that, bought several you know so it was it was a good it was a good in but like by and then you know I competed I wasn't getting really anything because because I'm a woman I remember going to a gallery and I remember him pointing that out to me that I sold to you know he's like first of all you're a woman there's no women sculptors it's not it's not a uh you know not as easily acceptable to sell you you don't have a southwest style you're not a native from here yeah. you know you're you're doing something from Northern Plains. <laughs> I think, but unlike, all I've seen was yeah, Southwest. Right. You, know, like, you got all that going against you, he said. You know, you're, you're um, it's going to be hard. But we'll, you know, he liked what I did, so he would buy yeah. wholesale. But he pointed that all out to me, you know, and I was like, mm. yeah, but then, it, but then it turned around. Right. Because of that, you know. What was once a... Uh, to a detriment became an asset yeah because i was different yeah. and i and i wasn't schooled you know it was self-taught in it so i didn't know what you could and couldn't do with it i didn't have somebody to emulate you know i i did what was inside me and the stone 
I mean, of course, my spirituality was because the stone is alive. My belief in that, that everything has a spirit and a life and that. Tell me, you know, to what... I, I acknowledge you, I appreciate you, and, and cleanse it, and, you know, the area, and, and talk to them, pray, you know, and help me to see what it is, and I do something good with a good feeling, you know, to, pro, to provide for me and my family, and also to make people feel good. Bless people out there, and bless us, you know? That was always my feeling, and my thoughts, and my and my words, and and then just the trust that whatever came out, that's what, that's what it's supposed to be, you know? Yeah. And, and it, I always felt that way. Even if it broke, you know, it was always like, oh, you didn't, you know, you, you wanted, you were trying to tell me how to be. I'm going to show you something what else. What about when I would break things? <laughs> well, then I'd have to do something different. <laughs> it's just creator talking through me. You're welcome. <laughs> so we're here in the Southwest. I'm just kind of catching us all up in mm -hmm. the in the whole thing. We're we're in the Southwest. Um, you got your first entry into the Santa Fe Indian Art Market. There are several other art markets that are happening in different parts of the of mm -hmm. the Southwest. Mm -hmm. um, but this one's kind of the largest. Yeah, uh, you know, generates the most interest from buyers from outside of the region mm -hmm. and people moving and shaking in the native art industry. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, what what did that look like as an economic model? Like what what happened? How how different was that from the North Dakota experience? Um, how did it generate like pride and determination within yourself? Yeah, you know, um, yeah. as an artist, both being a, a woman and being from outside of the region, mm -hmm. but also getting what was once a detriment is now an asset. Mm -hmm. And what did what did it look? Because I know there were. There were some pretty flush years in the native art industry. Mm -hmm. You know, could mm -hmm. you, if you could describe us up into that kind of moment and era, because that was an era for yeah. native people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a it was huge. Probably into the early '90s, from the time that I started into the early '90s, it was hot. I mean, Indian art was hot, no matter what you did, and especially sculpture. So, sculpture was really really hot it's easy to sell you know you could just i mean it was easy to sell i don't care what you did pretty much but i felt like i was doing good work you know and it, and it was really good and when it was good it was really really good but when it was bad it was pretty bad but it did i mean i think one of the things that i think is so pretty awesome with the art i mean and just like that painting to get my name I always think about that, you know, like those old way of thinking, however you take care of things, that's how it's going to take care of you, you know. So acknowledging that spirit in that stone and talking to it and, and allowing yourself to listen to it and go through it and, and bring out what you see, you know, like looking at a cloud, that that it is truly alive. And I think these stones literally have taken us all over, provided for us literally gave us food literally gave you clothes to wear you know literally gave us gas whatever our needs were it absolutely took care of us you know that that's really powerful i feel like i mean i love that that relationship you know and it took us to europe so i did actually <laughs> grow up in the stone age <laughs> yep you sure did <laughs> But not just stone. I mean, I've, any kind of material you're using has that, you know, any. Yeah. At, whether it's metal, it all comes from the earth. So there's all of that, you know, that, that goes into that. 
you know, so when things are good, it is really good. And and I remember that I got a show in in Germany, you know, and um, they paid for my way over there. But so we did a deal where they paid for all of you guys. I wanted to take all of you, which was some other this one gallery owner that I had in New York didn't want me to do that. You're like, don't do that. You know, just go there by yourself. Why are you going to take your kids? You can always take them another time. I'm like, <laughs> different cultures, you know, yeah. native people and women, mothers, a lot, a lot of times got to have our kids with us, you know. And it was like, it was an opportunity. And I thought, no, I'm taking my kids with me. Right. Because when else will I be able to do this? Exactly. Like, I work all the time. Mm -hmm. I work all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't vacation. It's got to be a, it's got to be a work trip. Yep. Always. I mean, any of our trips were that way. You know, whenever we went somewhere, we always, always put some fun in there, you know, went to some amusement park or some kind of thing, something special to see, you know, cause yeah, it was always work. But also educational. I always felt like it was really, well, I mean, not that it had to be educational, but something you're learning something. Well, it's you're experiential. You're seeing something new. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that, to do that myself. So I think it, it got instilled in all of you. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think just, you know, I, I can only speak for myself because I'm in me. <laughs> um, but we're, you know, definitely navigating in uh, uh, my practice in that same way. But I also see... Some of the, um, just the workaholicness, you know, uh -huh. of, of that, you know, and travel, you know, and movement and like not vacationing, you know, all mm -hmm. of that sort of stuff. I'm really grateful that we kind of talked about all of that. It does provide even me context to like, this is kind of almost like a, a, a weird self-care psychoanalytical you know thing even for myself to be like wow yeah how did you how did you get here <laughs> and that gives me an idea of as you're learning who you are i learn who i am yeah. you know yeah in in a, in a way yeah um so i really appreciate that i would be happy to to have another conversation because that got us to a certain point in in native art mm. and i think we are this is like the transition Kind of, kind yeah. of another transition, mm -hmm. another mm -hmm. transformation. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk about that <laughs> next time? Stay tuned. <laughs>
I. 